Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. These are not the cards you're looking for. Droids, these are not the boggles, bogles you're looking for. They're very slippery. What's up, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. It's early, Jimmy. It is early. It's actually 8, just after 8 a.m. Uh, I have a very busy day. I have to go back and do a, you know, two workouts today for an undisclosed thing that's happening soon. And that's... You just got to get back in shape, everybody. Yes, exactly. Uh, you can all guess why. Anyway, let's uh, talk about today's topic. We're actually going to be doing a fun one. Um, it's about mental tricks, and it's something that we use every day on a daily basis whenever we, you know, talk to our friends, talk to our teachers, do an assignment, play a game of magic. Mental tricks are things that help us, br- like, sort of organize our brains and navigate around problems that we might have on our everyday basis. And we do a lot of sort of, like, skips and things that help us get to conclusions faster. And today we're going to reveal some of those secrets and how they apply to Commander and how you can also use it as well. But before we get into all that, <laughs> uh, be sure to check out our sponsor, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you're ordering your magic product, your singles, Throne of Eldraine stuff, anything at all, you really are supporting this podcast, game nights, all of our content. Yep. Another great mental trick is to make your opponents be like, wow, your cards are so shiny and so cool. And then they focus on that. And also how awesome your playmat looks or your sleeves or your deck box, because our other sponsor is Ultra Pro. So please, anytime you're at your LGS or your big box retailer, or even at cardkingcom slash command zone, you can go ahead and get some Ultra Pro product and support the show that way as well. Yeah, Ultra Pro really does support us a lot. They are awesome. We sent out a ton of those um, Satin Tower deck boxes oh, yeah. to the Game Nights giveaway winners recently. Stuff them in those boxes. Yeah. So, They'll make it in the shipping because they're you know made of, I don't know, titanium. It I know. The, the Satin Towers are going to be fine. Those things are, you're not going to break those. <laughs> uh, and the final way to support all of our content, actually not the final way at the moment. At the moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's two, actually two ways. But one of the Time further right. ways is um, to go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. This episode is dedicated to Andrew Hendricks. Andrew, you rock. Uh, cool name. I've been to your museum. Oh, nice. the, the Jimi Hendrix museum. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah, your, your grandfather's too. museum, maybe? I hope you're related to Jimi Hendrix. That'd be sweet. That would be actually be pretty sweet. Uh, okay, so one thing before we get into it, and I just alluded to it, there is actually a further way to support the show that we don't normally have available. We're running a Kickstarter. It just launched a couple days ago when you're watching this. We're trying to get some upgrades going around here at the office. We need some new computers. We'd like to upgrade some of our cameras, some of our lighting equipment. We also um, are losing one of our editors. Yes. So we need to hire and train some new people. There's just a bunch of stuff we've been wanting to do, and we're trying to raise a little bit of extra capital to do that. Now, of course, it's a Kickstarter, so there's a bunch of cool rewards tied to it. We're going to have the link to that Kickstarter in the show notes. Um 
again, I said we have a bunch of rewards, but I think Jimmy and my, both of our favorite ones are the commemorative coins. By four, yeah, by far. These are... You can buy four um, of them also. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, so at one of the tiers, we are uh, also giving out as a reward this incredible limited edition Game Nights coin. These are called like challenge coins. Um, they're really heavy, they have a lot of great heft to them, but they're awesome for using as like trigger reminders, putting on top of your deck, flipping for heads or tails things, and also just having it. On one side, it's like at the only one may stand with a sweet sword and some emblems, a little lotus, and then of course the iconic Game Nights logo on the other side. Um, I'm super excited. It's a great way for you to support the show. If, for instance, if you're not a patron or you've always wanted to just be like, you know what, I don't want to give you guys money every month, but this is something that you can support just game nights, um, and there's tons of rewards that go along with it as well. You can get your name on our website as a credited, produ- uh, not producer, as a credited contributor. You, you, can can actually, be, you can be credited as a producer. Also. Yeah, exactly. Um, but tons of great ways to contribute, and of course, completely optional. Game nights is going to continue regardless, but we're doing this because we need some upgrades. And like Josh said, losing an editor, that's actually a huge, huge, huge deal. It's going to take a little bit of you know capital and time and investment to sort of recover from that as well. Yeah, so um, Kickstarter dot com slash we don't know check in the show notes <laughs> yeah it's going to be literally everywhere we're going to post in the comments we're going to be on tweeting it uh, instagram all of that good stuff and don't worry you have 30 days like all of our kickstarters to get involved so take a look take a gander see what see what interests you and check out those stretch goals and all that stuff as you well. want the coin uh, it's also a cool way to say like i supported game nights i'm, I'm one of the people that helped make it happen so yeah. and it looks sweet it really does <laughs> i'm really excited about it i, okay. I was just like holding it the entire time <laughs> being like this feels nice yeah i'll just sit at my desk and i'll ha- be playing with it in my left hand when my right hand is like editing <laughs> with the mouse yeah okay um okay on to the, main, the topic. main topic yeah. yeah uh so we had a little bit of trouble in our brains already just trying to come up with the right name for this episode but the basic idea is that we've got mental tricks and we also have Ways to sort of help you get what you want in a game of EDH, specifically getting other people to do what you want, which is maybe one of the most important things and powerful things you can do in Commander. Yeah, this is, it's it's similar to a politics episode, right? Yeah. It's just understanding the psychology of interacting with people and yourself to use those mental tricks to your advantage in a game. Yeah, and the sort of push and pull of what happens in the Commander game is sometimes one person will get out fast and everyone turns to them. Other times someone won't hit their lands drops and they'll just get ignored. But how do you really negotiate and navigate that, those shaky waters so that you come out on top at the end? I think it's one of the biggest factors in determining who wins more games on average. Obviously, right. the cards you draw and the order you draw them and how powerful your deck is are a big component. But I think almost equal to those is how you navigate those the waters of the social dynamic and the politics and you know keeping everybody doing what you want them to do yeah um and of course when we you know we're saying stuff like get people to do what you want to do it sounds pretty manipulative so the number one thing that we need to keep in mind throughout this entire episode and perhaps the most important thing of all otherwise no one will like you You got to give a little to get a little. And I think you're the one that first said this on the show, which is just like, you can't just go out there and demand things and expect them to happen. Right. <laughs> you got to be people's friends as well in order, you know, to enter into negotiations. Peacefully. It's an old poker saying. You got to give action to get action. There you go. All right. So let's go through some questions and some topics and talk about how you can get people to do what you want in a game of Commander slash EDH. This first one's pretty simple. It's just say the right thing. And maybe there's more emphasis on just saying something. A lot of times I've seen stuff happen at tables and everyone just goes, and <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that thing has taken over. So um, words and phrases like, that's a problem, we need to deal with it, is a very powerful thing. It's a classic approach when it comes to threat assessment because it's showing you and the rest of the table that, look, this thing I think is an issue and one, we should either talk about it or at the very least everyone should look at it and pay attention to it. It's also, if you were trying to get people to do what you want them to do, which, as we said, is a big component in any game of social dynamics, then step one is tell them what you want them to do. (laughs) Deal with it. Yeah. So you have to point things out in order to, I mean, obviously there's subtleties and other approaches, but I think like as a base level being like, hey, that thing's a problem and being, you know, vocal about it, you know, is a good way to just set that as the problem that's in their head, something they're thinking about. If you want them to do that, tell them. Yeah, and it's very, it's a big deal saying the word we here instead of you need to deal with it or like can anyone deal with it? There are a lot of different ways to get to the same point. But 
I mean, obviously, you're not going to point out like Elena or Elves and be like, that's a problem. We need to deal with it because your threat assessment there might not be as good as that's a doubling season. We need to deal with it. So this is also one of those things that when you say the severity level of what it actually is on the table is also going to shape the way that you address it. For instance, if someone's playing a Kiki Jiki deck and they play a Zealous Conscripts, it's like, okay, we have to actually deal with that immediately. Otherwise, Kiki Jiki is going to just go infinite and then we're all dead. So again, the way that you say this really does depend. And you know, honestly, I've done this at the table, sometimes targeting single players where it's like, hey, you two have green in your deck. You're going to be able to get rid of this enchantment or this artifact better than me because I'm playing this color or whatever it is, like black or whatever. Yeah, I'm in Demir. I can't touch an enchantment for the most part. So Yeah, and here's the thing. But, but somebody you, needs to kill that because otherwise we're just going to lose to it. Yeah, but your deck might, right? You could bounce it. It's you possible. You counter yeah. stuff, but... Overall, you're not, it's, I guess it's a white-ish lie. You're not really saying the truth by not saying certain things. Right. You're better at dealing at this than me does imply that I can technically still deal with it, but doesn't forcefully, you know, sort of put the issue in their hands in a way that might feel intimidating or pressuring. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like, does anyone else have a way to stop this? I don't have a board wipe in my hand. You can reveal details that don't necessarily change the entire course of the game. But there are a lot of times where I don't have a board wipe and I know for a fact that the white player does or someone else has something. And if they don't use it soon or now, it's going to spell doom for everyone else. I like that too, because if a board wipe's going to happen, then knowing about it is good for you. Like you're on your <laughs> yeah, turn, true. a board wipe needs to happen. You don't have one. You also, It's good to be like, listen, does anyone have a board wipe? I don't have one, but we need to deal with this. And if somebody's like, I got it then you know, don't play a lot of creatures right now, yeah. in addition to the fact that they're going to wipe the board and and help solve the problem. So that that's additional information you can get. Yeah, other stuff, you know, they, you know they're playing Bane of Progress, but like, okay, don't play any artifacts or enchantments right. either. So it does really help you give a little advanced knowledge seeing into the future. Um, and I know a lot of people that play Howling Minds and Group Hug decks, and I've seen many times like, hey, can you use your Temple Bell right now? I, I need to draw something mm. in my turn. And it doesn't really change anything materially until it gets to your turn. And I've seen that be a very strong tactic as well. Well, and I wrote down here, because this last one I like. Yeah. Uh, you put down, I need some card draw if I want any chance, if we, you know, to help find an answer to whatever's going on. And even sometimes you can be like, I'm going to play Rhystic Study and say... Oh, here's I don't have an answer, but I'm gonna play this. If you guys help me draw some cards, then maybe I, I can, maybe there, I can yeah. find something and help us out here. And I wrote down one of my favorite sayings in all of politics and commander is um, I think it was Churchill. I'm not sure if that I'm attributing it right, but it's never waste a good crisis, which is this idea in politics that you'll see used all the time, which <laughs> is I want to do this thing, right? Something happened that's not related to it necessarily, but I can use the fear of that other thing that happened to advance my other agenda. So yeah. it's like, I've used this in game nights before where like, uh, I think I used it in a brawl episode with Cassius and Ben Bateman where like Ben had a thing out that like hosed my graveyard and I was playing Muldrotha. And so I think it was you, Jimmy was, was super scary. And I used that oh, as like, right. I want to help against Jimmy, but if I can't have access to my graveyard, then I can't help. So, Ben, can you get rid of your graveyard hosing thing so that then I can help us yeah. destroy Jimmy? And that and was super early in the game had the no- graveyard that got out of control. Yeah, the two yeah. things really had nothing to do with each other. <laughs> but I was just like, I need to get rid of the of the thing Ben's got or my deck doesn't really work. And everyone's scared of Jimmy. <laughs> so, if I can connect those two dots, even if they don't really connect, then I can advance my own agenda here and use that crisis um, and not waste it. And so that's the thing. Like if something's scary and now I'm going to play my Rhystic study and now I'm actually going to plant the seed as giving a reason for players not to pay for it so that I draw cards that they think in their mind at least a little bit this is potentially helping me to let them draw cards. And, and in a lot of situations too, me having that explosive start in that Brawl episode, again, I played Joda and I played a bunch of cards including Zakama. Um, it was very hard. I had no position really to argue against yeah, it's anyone else negotiating be, yeah. wanting to take me down because I could maybe point out like, well, that doesn't really help or whatever, but that's going to just be death. Right, it's like no I'm one's listening. On deaf ears, <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Like, so, no one really cares what you have to say when you're that when you're me in that position. So that's another way I th- I'd say to think around an issue or like there's something big, it's scary. Whenever something's scary to the entire table, if that's been established, now you can use that to advance maybe some other agendas. If you can't get rid of it, can I create that as an advantage for me? Absolutely. Um, this next one's a JLK favorite. 
Maybe all these are JLK favorites. <laughs> I uh, do like a lot of these. Some of these I never really thought about, though, that you put down. I oh, like yeah. them now. They're favorites of mine now. Yeah, right now, yeah, yeah. Um, questions that force the issue. Hey, what are you going to do with that card when someone plays something? Where is that creature going before they enter combat? Um, stuff like this, again, you're preempting conversations. And here's the thing about how like sort of linguistics and talking to human beings work and communication in general. If you're the one that starts the conversation, you have a... I don't know what percentage chance or whatever it is, but your ability to affect the direction that conversation goes is way higher than if someone else starts the conversation first because you're already thinking ahead about the impact of a card or a play, and then by you willingly entering into that conversation, you can enter into a negotiation. You can create that space and say, you know, where is that going? I'm scared because of this. Or where is that going? I really think it needs to do this. And you're already starting the conversation off on a footing that you're comfortable with and most often, it's probably because it's not going to be going straight to you. I really like these questions, too, because there's an implied threat without an actual threat. So right. if you threaten someone and you say, I'm going to kill that thing, that not that that can't work, but there is a natural reaction, especially in front of other people, for people to not want to show that that threat's going to uh, cow them, right? So, right? so if you say, I'm going to kill that thing, a person might be like, fine, kill it, just so that they can't be aren't being seen to be pushed around yeah now, calling but, you on that bluff is huge too yeah exactly they might want to set the precedent that like you can't just threaten me and i'm just going to roll over mm-hmm. but if you say what are you going to do with that creature now you've given them an out to not have to sort of bluster in front of other people but still back down right you know it's very common in negotiations and politics to give people an out if you really want them to, but if you if you back them into a corner where they're going to lose face or look bad by doing something, right. they might they might make a poor decision that's actually in both it, like a disadvantage or bad for both of you. Whereas if you sort of approach them in a way that doesn't make them look weak, they are allowed to sort of retreat a little. Yeah, you're sense? giving them a hidden choice that they didn't yeah. see before. So when you say, "Where's that creature going to go? Are you going to attack me with it? What are you going to do with that card? Is it going to blah blah blah?" Mm-hmm. You're you know, it's an implied threat without an actual threat, which gives them the ability to be like, oh, I'm not going to attack you. Right. And they're not, they're not retreating from you. They just weren't ever going to attack you and you never even threatened them. So everything's fine. You know, and I, I, that's why I really love that tactic. It's nice to, because everything's not necessarily fine. Let's right. say, let's say you're like, hey, what are you going to do with that card? I know that this, this, and this can happen in your deck with that out. You may know that, they may know that, but the other two players, if they didn't know that, now learn that. And so because they're just not even a part of the conversation, but because you started it and gave that information, now everyone else might be a little scared of it too. And that creates a great dynamic for you because, again, it puts you in the safer seat and the person with the scary quote-unquote thing in sort of the hot seat, the danger seat. You also create a little bit of a contract. So if they sit, you ask them a question, right? if they answer it, they're somewhat, they have to do what they said, right? (laughs) Are you going back on what you just said? Yeah, Yeah, it's so you put them in a situation, it doesn't even feel like that to them where they basically like sign a little contract that says, (laughs) I'm going to do like, oh, I'm not going to attack anybody. Okay. Okay. Or I'm going to, it's definitely not coming at you. Okay. Yeah. You know, my favorite answer to this question when asked it is, I mean, depending on what the thing is, sometimes you really don't want them to kill it and you're like, okay, I'll I'll back off. But sometimes it's like, you're just going to have to wait and see, do what you're going to do. Yeah, it's that sort of like volleying the ball back in tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, I, a lot of times when people come with these questions, you may not have thought ahead to that answer, which is like, I don't know, I'm gonna, you're going to find out. If you're going to do something, you got to do it now. And then the person with the sort of implied threat has to go, oh, gosh, what do I do? Do I, am I the one rolling over? Or do I just sort of like be like, okay, cool, do whatever you want. You know, there's lots of different ways to negotiate. Also, you'd be surprised how much someone would tell you sometimes if you just ask them. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> like, have you ever like asked someone like, hey, do you want like a question that has them talk about themselves in yeah. regular conversation? Because I, that can sometimes go on for hours if you're not careful. <laughs> so sometimes asking a question, even if you don't feel comfortable asking it, the only way to get better is to sort of practice what it sounds like. And again, you might be surprised at what people say back to you. I do want to backtrack really quick to the the not giving an answer when you're the one that's being asked yeah as sort of like i don't know what i'm gonna do i haven't decided yet or i'm not sure um i'll just i'll decide that later you're just gonna have to you know decide what you're gonna do that is really tough on the person that asked the question they're usually asking you because they have a choice between a couple of plays Mm -hmm. like a lot of times you're like i'd love to put out this gilded lotus but if that thing you know attacks me or or he plays, you know, something. Or shards or yeah, something exactly. Crazy, He's gonna play yeah. three creatures and blow stuff up or whatever. Then I don't want to play. I want to make this other play. And by not answering their question, you put them in the conundrum of like possible for them to make the wrong decision. Whereas if you right. tell them, 
now they have perfect information as far as like what you're going to do and they know what the right play is. So it's very powerful to just not answer that. And I would encourage people to use that more at the table, which is like, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. And it's true because maybe you haven't actually decided yet. Don't let someone asking you the question force the decision yes. on you in that moment. You do not have to answer it. Especially, let's say, it, it depends a lot on where you're sitting, right? If Jimmy's asking me, but I'm going to take my turn right after Jimmy, I'm way more likely to answer that question. But yeah. if Jimmy's the player after me and there's going to be two other players before I go, it's... I don't want to make any answer to that question because a lot can change, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to enter into something, too, that you're locked into after, you know, two turns in Magic can be huge, right. especially in the later game. Um, and when you ask questions, don't always expect answers. This sort of leads right into our next point. Um, but there are a lot of nonverbal cues, I think, that people will give you. So let's say you're playing against, like, Josh's Tim deck. And someone just plays a really powerful creature, but no one really notices that it's an X1 that you can right. sort of ping it out of the air. If you're asking someone like, hey, Josh, are you going to use your Tim to get rid of that? Maybe Josh didn't see it. Maybe Josh hasn't thought about it. Or maybe, you know, Josh just needs another reason to put that on his target list. Josh doesn't have to answer. He doesn't have to say, yes, I'm going to do that, because then that creates an immediate tension between those two players. But by saying that, you're going to get a response from people without even anyone replying verbally. Yeah. And, yeah, tells are big, right? Yeah, even like great poker players have tells. And I would say none of us Magic players, very few of us Magic players are very serious poker players. And, <laughs> and at Commander Table, no one's really concentrating on like, don't give any information yeah, away, like, right? Stoically, yeah, like stoically. Sort of, yeah, everyone's there to have a good time. But, you know, if you play with me, you'll see someone will play a card and I'll just look straight at the card in my hand that will do something about that. And then I'll look back at the card, bring the card to the front, look at it, look how much mana. I, and you know, like I give information all the time. And if someone asks me like, Jimmy, are you going to get rid of that? I, if I have, if I'm not looking at my hand, maybe I will look at my hand and go, can I get rid of it? Oh, maybe I can. And that is all information that is just sort of freely given. Um, I'm not encouraging people to just be a robot at the table. But just know that oftentimes we do give a lot more information without people realizing it. Well, I think the note of look for that information is good too. Like yeah. I think I'm not very necessarily very good at like paying attention to the nonverbals consciously, but I'm good unconsciously. Like I'll be like, I feel like Jimmy has an answer to that. Or I feel like somebody yeah. they didn't He's seem as, enough cards. They didn't seem as worried. Or they seem like they're about to do something. That's one of my big things is like trying right. to figure out who's about to they feel like they're setting up for a big play next turn. Yeah, you can sort of feel them like being like, "All right, what if?" Yeah, they like, kind of mean, what if? up a little, <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, there." So maybe I hold open mana for answers at that time, or something yeah, like yeah, that. that's so, a good point. Yeah, there is a lot of information flowing around that table. Um, influence through agreement. Okay, this is really, I think, very, very cool. So this is something, um, yeah, that I use a lot. I didn't really realize I was doing it. Watching game nights has really codified a lot of my stuff because i have to watch I myself do the same thing yeah, i'm like yeah i'm like oh yeah i'm i know exactly what i'm doing there i'm being manipulative <laughs> <laughs> um so influence through agreement one thing i really like is if someone else expresses worry or um or you know threat assesses something verbally so does that first thing where they say like that's a problem yeah. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with it i think it's often good to be the second person in being like yeah He's not joking. That thing could definitely go off and kill us all because yeah. I've died to that a bunch. Do you know that um, there's like this? It's like a it's like a cliche con they use it in like movies and TV shows. I think it was in like Lost. So mm -hmm. there's this con where somebody goes into like a, at a gas station or something, and they're like, "Hey, uh, I got these watches for sale. They're like, you know, these are like five hundred dollar watches, but I'll give them to you for 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 fifty bucks." Yeah. And they show you, you know, they do the classic thing where they pull out their wrists and they got like five watches on there or something. And it's like, it's, it's cheap. I just need a little extra money for gas or whatever. And they're like, I'm talking to Jimmy and somebody over in the corner goes, yeah, that's a, that holy crap. That's a tag here or whatever. And yeah. I, yeah. 50 bucks. Yeah. I'll buy it. Gives them the $50 buys the watch. Jimmy I'm goes, watching this all happen. Yeah. Jimmy goes, Oh yeah, I'll buy two of them. The first person was a plant. The first person was Friends. working with the con man. Yeah. And so that $50 they gave is not money that they're actually spending. But they gave <laughs> Jimmy the confidence to actually buy a couple watches because Jimmy's saying, well, if another person right. evaluated this as these watches are valuable, then they must be, even though I don't know much about watches and this is a good deal, I don't want to miss up. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a couple of them. Yeah. And this is a similar thinking, which is like, if you jump on the bandwagon of somebody else who is saying that's a threat, now all of a sudden the third person 
is like, oh, crap, they both think that's a threat. That's probably a threat. Yeah. And they might actually get rid of it for you by just having two people. And you're like, yeah, that thing's really bad. I don't have anything that can deal with it. Do you? Yeah. And now it's like, if they didn't, weren't worried about it before, well, now two people are. It also kind of can create the arch enemy situation where I'd rather be on the team of three players versus be the one player or be on an island. Almost always. I mean, there are a lot of different things that, like, three-card Monty has the same thing where they'll put a plant to sort of direct the attention of someone elsewhere. There's a popular um, sort of allegory, I guess, to this where, let's say you're walking home, it's wintertime, you're in Minnesota, there's a lot of lakes around, and you see an iced-over lake. Winter's just started. Would you walk on that lake? No. All right. Next day, next day you're going home, you see, you know, one person ice skating on it. Would you, would you walk on the lake? I'm more likely to for sure, but probably not. So let's say the next day you come home and there's 50 people just having a banging party on that lake. Would you walk on the lake? P- probably. Yeah, because look, all those people are there. It's got to be safe, right? Doesn't actually change the actual safety of the lake, but again, having the extra affirmation, the social validation is huge. Right. So sometimes you can be that second person in right. the con, right, where you are. Because you don't really have collusion with another player generally, but you can mm-hmm. kind of synthesize that by just being like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to agree here, even though I don't think that's that big of a threat. Because if player C decides to use a removal on it, that's great for me anyway. Yeah. And even you if don't, I don't think it's, it's that bad. You don't have to overplay it. Nope. It doesn't need to be crazy. I will say, though, that one effective way to fight against is like you just said, the 3v1 situation is what you want to be in. If it's two people saying something and you're on the other side of it and you see it and you're like, that's actually not a threat. When you say it's not a threat, then you and the player that just played it, it's a 2v2. And that yep. sort of balances out like sort of the, oh, no, we got to be worried about this guy. It's very subtle what happens in these situations, but it ends up like changing a huge a lot of dynamic down the road. Because let's say the person with the threat plays another scary card, then all of a sudden it's two cards that person's played that everyone's got to be like, oh, no. I think these little interactions can definitely decide the outcome of the game. Because a timely yeah. removal spell by another player on something that's pretty bad but not game-breaking can flip the scales way later down the road where it just allows you enough wiggle room to sort of yeah, stay in it and win eventually. Yeah. All right, we're going to go through some more mental tricks, Jedi mind tricks, uh, ways to manipulate people, whatever you want to call it, coming up. But we're going to take a quick break first and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, we are back talking about mental tricks, crazy things, and not so crazy things you can do to help manipulate and sort of navigate your way to a win in Commander. Uh, The next one I want to talk about is something called shotgun statements. It's a trick that a lot of mentalists and psychics use, which is... This is cool, yeah. A statement that's broad enough or a statement that's just enough information in the statement is true that it's almost impossible to disagree with, even if like a part of the statement just was blatantly not correct. So psychics will often say like, Josh, I feel like you or someone close to you has had a relative pass away yeah it's like it's like uh, yep it's almost impossible for that not to be true someone close to you or you it's like that that's just like everyone and that relative pass away it's like yeah that that's we're a just thing playing that the odds here happens. and the, yeah, the odds are very high yeah. very very high but you know in the right situations if someone's been warmed up in like sort of a psychic setting they might go oh my gosh how did you know that or like you or someone close to you has had a tough breakup recently. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, there's a darn good chance that's happened. Even if the you part of it or someone close to you, right? It's like opening as many doors as possible and being like, one of those is going to have the thing in it. Um, in Magic, we do this instead sort of to direct the flow of what a player's decision is. So again, a threat is, is played. 
oh my gosh, we've all died to this so many times in the past. Oh, this is such a problem. As soon as he combos off with this, as soon as Megan does this, it's going to be all over. And sure, it would be all over had that happened, but that's presuming they have the cards in their hand, the mana to play it, the control of the table to even pull the combo off. No one's going to counter them. But by saying sort of like by doing the shotgun blast of a statement, everyone hears the parts of the truth that they want to believe in and they affirm it and they also add that layer of their interpretation to the card on the table or whatever's happening that just got played a turn of phrase i I find that i use a lot and and i didn't realize again without examination why i used it so (laughs) i would say something like oh yeah anybody who's played commander has died to that thing like a million times That's such a shotgun statement. That's great. I love it. But also, do the duality of the 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 sort of first part of the statement of anybody that's played Commander means if you don't agree with me, I'm calling into question if you're you're legit even a, a legitimate. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. subtle. I don't like that's it's super underhanded. Uh, yeah. You know, as I examine it, but it also has a lot of power because well, we sometimes just say these things flippantly without realizing like how, your what, brain's telling you like say this thing, it will be good for you. Yeah, and then exactly. you say it, and later you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's a little bit like evil. But at the same time, like in the game setting, it totally works because mm-hmm. it pressures people in a really subtle way of like oh i am a commander player i should i probably should have died to that a bunch if i haven't already uh it it must be a big threat and then in their mind like yeah (laughs) what's it (laughs) it's similar to just being like oh here we go again yep you know someone that's never played against that deck is like what what do you mean again this happens a lot okay yeah and and you could be like i don't know i'm probably not honestly it's the (laughs) third time i played against the deck i've seen it happen once but like here we go again you know again it adds that presumption of all that um, I will say that shotgun statements will not work forever, but at the right moments can be super, super effective. Yeah. Um, I think all of this stuff you need to keep in mind, like it's a bunch of little tricks to use and put in your toolbox. You And we've say this every politics episode, and I think it's, it's really important to say because you can't just go to a game and just be like, I'm going to use all my tricks and then just rattle them off one after the other. Yeah. These are things you use only a few times each game because if you use them over and over and over again, People, people catch get, on to it. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, it makes me feel bad when I'm too, when I play the politics too hard as yeah. opposed to just play the card game. There is, I think, in Commander, a wonderful balance of a mix of, like, fun politics with friends and playing powerful cards from your deck to interact with the board. You know, it's great to have two very powerful arsenals at your hand to engage with. But if you overdo the politics and you use it all the time, if you make shotgun statements constantly, then you're the boy who cried wolf and nobody's mm-hmm. listening to you. They're rolling their eyes. In fact, they're like, shut up. You talk yeah. too much. Too much. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I mentioned lately how I pulled back my politics a lot, and I'll even just go some games where I consciously am just not going to play the politics because I don't want to become that person where I want to use these statements and these tricks in, you know, pinpoint spots. Yeah. But if you use it all the time, then you'll have the opposite effect. So that's just something to be wary of. Yeah, I think you'll find that a lot more in smaller play groups that all know each other really yeah. well. If you play um, with the same three other players every game. Yeah, but you also don't want to establish a reputation at an LGS for being that person. Right. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I think we've all had shades of being that person in the past, and we see what happens. People don't have positive reactions to it necessarily. They don't take kindly to someone that is just there to try and manipulate them. Right. And again, you got to give a little to get a little. Yeah, it, and, and it's good to pay attention to. You'll notice the signs as people start to sigh as you start to speak or yeah, they like, start uh, to. Yeah, yeah. It, when you start talking, they go here. We go okay. again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's probably your cue to like. Okay, for a little while, I got to dial it down like quite a bit here and and sort of reset my reputation to where I want it to be. I really like this next one you put in. Okay, so the next one is make large requests and then scale them down. So a lot of times you'll find yourself negotiating some kind of deal in a game of Commander, an alliance, mm-hmm. a non-aggression pact, a don't destroy this and I'll do something, or hey, I'm going to save you. What do I get? Usually there's a terms of these agreements. We've seen it on game nights all the time. Uh, Jimmy likes to do the one favor anytime in the game type of deal. <laughs> uh, a lot of times there is push and pull, though. So you, um, eh, okay, if I do that, what do I get? And then there's an offer and then there's a counter or maybe there's a negotiation. And in these situations, one strategy, that, and this is something I learned from like negotiating, like buying a car or when you're at like a market in, not in the US because we don't usually do this, but in yeah. other countries, the negotiating at like a market is like a big part of their culture. And you are a fool if you take whatever the offered price is yep. originally, you're supposed to haggle. And so- Part of the game. Yeah. One of the big strategies in haggling is to start with a large either offer or a big ask. 
and then dial it back. Because what happens is subconsciously, the person thinks they're getting some kind of a deal because you started with a big ask. Yeah. So like, hey, uh, I'm going to do this, but you don't attack me for three turns, right? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Three turns? Yeah, three Anything turns. could happen. Like, okay. Look at these. How about two? Nah, it's the, I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of times the, the player will say that, right? They'll yeah. go three turns. Eh, how about two? Yeah. Oh, right, right. Or like, you know, I'll give you one and they'll go like, how about two? Because of this and this and this. And you're like, okay, fine. And that feels fair because it was going to be three. But yeah. two is t- way too many maybe. And yeah. one should have been the right one. And you moved it up by a turn just by starting higher. So yeah. And th- you all, the, the, the whole thing wouldn't have happened had you not entered into the negotiation. But now right. the person's like, I'm getting a good deal. <laughs> and you might get somebody that says, okay, to your first huge offer. Right. Which is another thing that happens and just like may as well shoot for the moon a little bit. Uh, sometimes you can go so high that they're like, okay, forget it. Yeah. Or other players at the table go, no, no, no. Everyone's still, hey, hey, hey. That that's, thing, crazy. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think I was in the game the other day where somebody tried to make the three turns like uh, <laughs> I won't do anything to you for three turns. It was like turn 10. I'm like, three turns is till the end of the game. You realize that, right? Yeah, that's a crazy amount. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Getting a deal is huge, and Magic players love value, so give them a little value in the game, too. Yeah, just reset their expectations where you want them, and everything will be contextualized by the fact that, like, the initial offer was, you know, this amount of turns or this thing, and... They're like, oh well, at least I'm not having to do that. I'm getting, I'm getting them a little. I'm getting, I'm getting them for less than that. Thank goodness. Okay, uh, this next one's a big one, and it's what sort of got me on this topic in the first place. And it's called the magician's choice or equivocation. Now, my brother Freddie loves magic. Um, we got to get his hands on some of these coins. He can do some cool tricks. I'm he sure. does, yeah, some really cool coin stuff. Um, and. He would do this magic trick with me that was more in line with mentalism, which is a different form of magic. It doesn't rely on sleight of hand as much or sort of like big, lavish, cut people in half tricks. Um, so you can do this at home as well. So Frey would ask me to come up with a three-digit number, and the first and last digits just have to differ by one or more. So it can't be like one, one, one. You can do like one, one, three, one, one, four, any of those numbers. And so let's take that number. In this case, let's say the number is 328. And then take that number and Frey would ask me, okay, now reverse that number and then subtract the two. And you can do this on a calculator. But okay, 823 minus 328, that's 495. And then you add that final number reversed onto itself. So 495 plus 594. And I'm like, okay, this is 1089. I'm like, okay, wow, that's a big number. And then he'd be like, okay, here are two books, remove one. So I'll be like, okay, that one. I was like, great. You get that rid of that one. And it's like, take that book you just had. What's your number again? I'm like, 1,089. It's like, okay. Go to the 108th page of this book and look at the ninth word on the page. I'll go there. I'm like, this is so random. I look at it and go, is that word bark or whatever it would be? I'm like, what? <laughs> how did you know that? How, th- how could you ever un- know that? That's impossible. I-, I got to this number by a seemingly completely random process how, how did you know that? And so what just happened is called a magician's force or just a force in general, where in this set of circumstances, the number that you create will always add up to 1,089, no matter what. Um, and then when showing me the two books, Freddy's like, you're going to randomly choose one of these to get out of here, right, to remove. Freddy's actually forcing the right book on me at that same point too, because let's say I give Josh two Game Nights uh, commemorative coins from our Kickstarter. I'm like, Josh, can you remove one? Now, Josh, well, point at one and remove one. So he points at this one. Let's say this is the coin I actually want Josh to have. I'll say, like, great, you chose this coin. I'm going to remove the other one. Right. (laughs) Because by saying the phrase, can you remove one, I'm not implicitly saying point at one and I will remove it. I can always essentially choose. If he pointed at this, the other coin and be like, perfect, let's remove it. And I'll give him the coin that I want all along. So these are small, subtle ways that magicians can use to force things on you. So Frey always gave me the same book and I always got to the same number, even though I felt like I'd got to it randomly. Now... Let's talk about how this can apply to Commander and EDH. I created a couple situations, Josh. Okay. All right. So I will be player A in the scenario. I have a Trigon Predator on the battlefield. It can attack, and when it deals combat damage, I can destroy a target artifact or enchantment. Now, players B and C both have very powerful artifacts and enchantments on the battlefield, and Josh, as player D over here, is looking over and thinking, wow, this person's trying to figure out who to attack and what enchantment to blow up maybe I can actually help sway the decision and get him going towards the player that I want the Trigon Predator to attack. Because let's say player B has something like a concordant crossroads that Josh really needs to stay alive because he needs that instant haste 
on all of his creatures. So you can actually get a huge amount of value if you can somehow phrase it in a way to make the player with the Trigon Predator understand what their options are, but subtly force them to do the thing that you want them to do. So you're sort of giving them the magician's choice. Player A knows that they have two options, either attack this person or that person. And the outside discussion is what's going to help them sway them to the other way. So maybe the player A sitting here is playing Rune. And the concordant crossroads that player B has that Josh also wants to stay on the battlefield is actually really good for them. Because, you know, if they tap that, if they have, if they can play their Rune and immediately use it, it's huge value because the card costs so much. And player C could, you know, like maybe... You can seed stuff on earlier on too, like, oh, well, you know, you always want to attack the stronger player, and that's not player B with the concordant crossroads. It's the player that is just better or has a better deck, or you know that these combos are going to happen. So if you can argue for player A not to attack player B by, by sort of just being like, well, you have two options here. You have this person, uh, the, the concordant crossroads is actually really good with your commander, or you can attack this person, they've, you know, they won the last game. That's a very broad way of applying it. You're technically giving the player A with the Trigon Predator two choices, but you're very clearly shoving them one direction while trying to make it seem like it's still their choice all along. You're just giving them the information that they perhaps didn't know. Right. And that outside force is really, really strong because if the player trusts you and if you're doing so in what seems to be a fair and not manipulative way, and it's true, you're just stating facts on the board. Maybe you're leaving... You can omit facts, though. You can omit facts. And that's sort of where the power of the force comes in, which is if you're shaping the narrative, again, if you're the one that's starting the conversation and, and moving it forward, you often get to have people get the first impression of what maybe they didn't think of when they were designed to attack. Yeah, and they don't know what you know, which is like you have a heartless Hitotsugu in your hand and the taste is going to be really yeah. bad for everybody. But no one else knows that, yeah. but you know it and you need to keep that concurrent crossroads alive. So formulate a way to make sure that the player with the Trigon Predator goes after the thing that you want. Now, let's say that you're the one under threat of attack and you have three awesome things on your board. You have a Birthing Pod, an Anointed Procession, and Aura Shards. All three of them, let's say you're in the token deck, are very important to your deck. But you, being the pilot and knowing what's in your hand, knowing what you can draw, know that that Anointed Procession is by far the most important thing. And if the other two are gone, it's a loss, but it's not huge. Um, when your, your opponents might not realize that. They might not be able to threat assess your board as well as you are able to. So let's say they hit you and they attack you and now their Trigon Predator has to choose one of those three to blow up. You can present them again with the Magician's Choice saying like, oh man, well, okay, you got three cards here. I'll tell you what they do. Birthing Pod here gets an infinite combo in my deck and if I pull that off, you just all immediately lose. I just need to get a five drop. Um, or if you don't blow up my Aura Shards, I'm just going to use it to wreck your board on my turn. And you're conveniently leaving out the Anointed Procession like, uh, this just makes double tokens. The, notice how the this just... Yeah, small word, yep. small adjustment... And you had two very credible threats with both of them. This Aura Shard is going to go straight after you, and this Birthing Pod is going to go infinite and we beat the game. You're not really giving them a choice as to which one that they need to blow up because they're going to choose the ones that you just present as the most threatening if you do so in the right way. I mean, they still have a choice, but you're upping the percentage chance that they do, that they go in the direction you want them to, right? Yeah, exactly. Another subtle thing I like to do is like if they've got choices, I sort of push it towards them like I'm being very accommodating, but <laughs> I'll like push the cards like slightly closer to them that I think they should probably do. Yeah. But, and the one slightly farther away. And then, yeah, you use words like Jimmy did, which is like, uh, this uh, blows up all artifacts and enchantments. This is a combo potential. And this one just makes more tokens. Yeah. And you just throw away the last one and they're almost never picked that last one if you do it like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, it is easy to argue for any card as being the strongest at the table being like, look. Uh, well, I mean, let's say we wanted to keep the ore shards in that situation. Right. How would you say it? The, oh, the birthing pot, obviously big combo piece. Annoying procession doubles all my tokens. And this one uh, blows up artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. And, you know, obviously people will recognize that's still a really powerful card. Be like, this blows up artifacts and enchantments, but, you know, if you get rid of the Annoying Procession, it's just not as good in my token deck. Yeah. You know, if you get rid of the Birthing Pot, I can't chain it all the way up to make five creatures and destroy five things. Or you might say, like, this doubles all my tokens, and, you know, in case you didn't notice, I have Reese on the board, so. Yeah. You know. It's, it's probably. I, don't, I just don't want you to miss that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, oh man, that is, <laughs> it's nefarious, but it's very, very true. And like, honestly, you giving information to other people is helping them understand your board better. And sure, maybe you're distracting a little, you're doing the classic magician's diversion where, look over here, where something's happening over here. 
I also like to be like, look at the table. Like, let's say you, you did want, you didn't want the, you want the oil shards to go away over something else. Be like, this oil shards can blow up everything else at this table. If you don't take it out now, then it's just going to cause mayhem. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do this for the good of the table. And now the person doing it be like, huh, maybe I'll get their favor as a result. Yeah. But in your head, you're like, sweet. This means I can now combo off next turn in the way that I have in my hand, but they don't know about. I like to use my graveyard if there's anything in there as like a subtle push towards what I want them to do. So I'll be like, uh, and, and, you know, cause I haven't mentioned every thing that's in my graveyard but and if you didn't know there's like a lingering souls in there right. or like just so you you have all the information when you're making the decision yeah you know you again you feel like you're being accommodated but you're subtly pushing them towards like destroy this thing instead of that i love when someone asks hey how many creatures are in everyone's graveyard to count out right because yeah. they need to know for some creature on their board because at that point i, I can say things like i only have instances of sorcery in my graveyard it's like i have literally nothing in my graveyard i could have more in my graveyard but to them right they're just asking for creatures but it gives me a chance to give a little information out there that may or may not you know sort of direct the game in my favor every once in a while too there's like you know they're going to regrow something out of a graveyard you have something that's not as bad as what something else has and maybe you can steer them towards your thing instead if you yeah if you're if you, you know you point out a couple of virtues of the card sometimes you're like i would much rather they get this than what craig's got yeah actually i would always rather they get something from me than craig because craig will always have something scary <laughs> and it could be five for fact fiction <laughs> yeah um another actually a great thing that i just realized that you just brought up there which is like sometimes you can use these tactics to help other players out yeah if you know that the player with the very scary board is about to go after something and, and, and it's really important that he doesn't blow or she doesn't blow up one thing, you can also present the magician choice to them and sometimes be the sacrificial lamb. You'd be like, I think you got to get rid of this. I mean, it's the most obvious when it's just like, if that person doesn't have an enchantment out next turn, we're all going to die. Yeah. So that, that can also be very helpful. Um, and finally, the way you ask questions, I think makes a huge, huge difference. Like think of the answer that you would give in real life. If someone asked you the question, are you happy versus are you unhappy? Like that small difference there could completely change the way that you answer that question. Or if you're saying, hey, is this good for the battle? Is this good for everyone? Or is like, is this bad for everyone? Again, just because you're adding and changing the narrative there, it helps out a lot in terms of how people interpret it. Um, I used to have an improv coach that would end every sentence with, you know what I'm saying, right? Right? And you would implicitly have to be like, uh, yeah. yes, <laughs> I do know what you're saying, even if I don't. But part of my brain has now subconsciously agreed to it. Yeah. <laughs> and at a certain point, he pointed it out, and we we're all like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how subtle and powerful that was. You know, I've, uh, there's also psychological... There's a, a, a phrase I use a lot, which is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's meant to be as like, if it doesn't, please tell me. Yeah. So I can read, but it, it doesn't really work very well, because most people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I also found uh, this study that said that when you nod yes oh, yeah. while talking to people, you'll get them to often agree with you more, which is just like a weird human thing that we just want to, in general, not be in discord with each other. There's this, there's a, a I think it's psychological, maybe that's the wrong word, but there's a thing in sort of human social dynamics about mirroring body language and, yeah. and actually mirroring um, words and, and mirroring the way people speak and the cadence will tend to make them sort of agree with you or more on your side so mm -hmm. you know it a lot of times when we nod the other person will nod and that mirroring all creates this weird connection Josh, between no, just people. nodding at each yeah, other now. where they actually <laughs> will have a more tendency to sort of go along with you now that you've made that connection and that's there's a thing in um i think it's psychology also where just finding out the way they words they use often and using those words yourself will get a similar connection and yeah. things like that. Uh, my brother, he's a salesman. He's a very good salesman. I think he's a lumber broker now. If so he's he sells, in the Lee Kwai family, I would yeah. assume he has some good <laughs> politicking skills. He uh, has this thing that he does where he will start to mirror somebody's accent slightly. Whoa. Just slightly. And if you know him well, which he's my brother, so I know him pretty well, you'll start to notice it. And so what happens is... <laughs> hey, bro, why are you doing that weird But the person accent? doesn't really notice because... Yeah. If you don't know him well, he doesn't do it like over the top. He's yeah. not like if you're Australian, he's like, hey, Mike, crikey. <laughs> but he just starts to slightly change his speech. And I think it's from his salesmanship. He's kind of he's naturally a salesman, but he's kind of learned like that kind of gets you yeah. a connection with a the person. They trust you more. And then, you know, you can tell them. I think stuff. There is something called code switching. that is a yes. similar phenomenon that even subconsciously without realizing it, that we will again, like, have you found that you started laughing and it sounds like your best friend all of a sudden, yeah. you know, like just small parts of our human brain just sort of latches on the things wow it's very very interesting very interesting uh if you guys know this sometimes josh and i would just like 
sit the exact same way without <laughs> even realizing it. Um, it's enough, just a, it's part of the human experience. I think it's something yeah. about our software. Yeah. Actually think about it this way too. I was talking to, it was like a dating coach and he was telling me like one of the things that people often, oh, thanks. One of the things that people often don't realize when they try and approach someone at a bar or a social situation is that it can be really intimidating to talk to someone for the first time. And when you're doing so in a way that doesn't have you mirroring body language, the other person can feel uncomfortable too. So let's say you never met, I've never met Josh in my life. I go straight up to him and just look at him straight on and just talk to him it's going to be much different than if i and let's say we're standing up against the wall i sidle alongside lean like he is lean like he is we're in a similar body position and then that conversation can start from a much more comfortable standpoint because you're not like projecting something onto them you're finding a way to sort of meld into the same atmosphere and he's like that's a great way to talk to someone you've never met before try not to like front front face them try to just stand next to them and see what happens so. This is actually really good because I think a lot of magic players are introverted people, you know. Yes. It draws that, that certain type of personality and they have a lot of anxiety in social situations. We've heard from people all the time that uh, have those kind of issues, which, you know, social interactions are tough. And well, based on how many people are like, how do I talk to my play group? Yeah. yeah it's a really scary thing to and do And so sometimes. that's a good lesson is a, a lot of so good social interactions and being comfortable with people is this interesting mirroring of you know their posture and the way they speak and their tone of voice and things like that and just being receptive and aware of it can help you out i mean don't go over the overboard but if somebody yeah, don't smi- imitate if somebody's someone. smiling and nodding and you just stone face them <laughs> that's it's uncomfortable gonna... and weird right yeah <laughs> and so think of on that level with other parts of communication and you know yeah that yeah. It's, it's a good way to just kind of get a little bit of an instant connection with people yeah try and be open to the energy that's around and there you, you can find it that you'll reciprocate in a similar way all right, our uh, final final topic. Little tangent, sorry. Yeah, a little tangent. But our, <laughs> our final uh, tip on how to get people to do what you want is just try a different approach. Again, if you do any of the things in this uh, episode, like way too much, people will notice and it's going to be uncomfortable and honestly would just lose its effectiveness. Like the diminishing returns on a lot of these is very severe. So things get less fun too when you just do things over and over again. And they're, you know, just try and vary it up. See what works, see what doesn't. And honestly, have fun overall. Don't go into a game with the purpose of manipulating someone because especially if it's like a new player or someone that doesn't really know their way around a board, I would not suggest being super political with them. Right. Because I've I've seen players walk into a play group that are new and felt like they just sort of got bullied into their decisions the entire game. And no one wants that. You especially don't want that because you're basically making it harder for a new player to have fun. Teach them, show them the ropes, but at the same time, you know, don't be afraid to vary up the tactics you're using. I think in all aspects, when you're playing with new players, you should be you shouldn't be playing your normal game, right? Like yeah. you want to make sure they understand what's going on, you want to make sure they're having a good time. You want to create commander players for life. You don't want to turn them away from the format because that's just net positive for all of us. They're gonna go out play more commander, create more commander players, and we're going to have more people to play against. Mm-hmm. And also, the more commander players there are, the more Wizards takes notice of us and the more stuff they create for us. It's just better all around. So yeah, I would say politics, every down to how you play your cards and everything, when you're playing with new players, be cognizant of it and be, a, you know, be helpful towards them. Absolutely. But in general, varying your approach is good because let's say you only have one trick. Even if you don't do it super often, if it's your only trick then people are going to catch on. So yeah. you need to vary it enough where nobody really notices the things you're doing. I don't even notice, like I said, some of the things I do until I'm watching game nights and I notice like, oh, geez, in like three or four episodes I've done this because I've been forced to watch myself you know, mm-hmm. for hours and hours <laughs> on end. Uh, then it starts to be like, oh, well, there's a trick that I, I use sometimes. Yeah. But it's not like the one thing I say in every episode or something. Yeah. And of course, the more you encounter tricks, the more you can also inc- uh, create your defenses for them too, which might be a great topic for a future episode, how to fight against these tricks. Yeah, how, to, sure you don't how to put on that Magneto thing yeah. so no one can Jedi mind trick you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, to the listeners... <laughs> What Jedi mind tricks do you utilize while playing EDH? Mixing universes. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, the Magneto helmet would work against Jedi. That actually, yeah, I think it would too. That makes a lot of sense. Um, share uh, your secrets with us. Yeah, let us know. Uh, tell us in the comments below. Tweet at us, Instagram, as well as, you know, co- start the conversation with other people on Facebook as well as the other social media platforms. Have a conversation. And hey, I, it's a fun one to also have with your play group. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Okay, we didn't talk a lot about specific cards today, but you cannot play Magic without cards. And if you're going to (laughs) buy Magic cards, there's no better place than cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You know, we hear from people constantly about how good Card Kingdom service is, how fast they ship out your cards. People are always like, 
You've been talking about it for years. I finally try, tried them, and holy crap, I got my card so fast. It's incredible. Card Kingdom is the best in the business as far as customer service. Yep. And, uh, you know, sometimes the pack and ship your order the same day. Sometimes you get the sh- your order has shipped a uh, confirmation email within like an hour of yeah. when you sent it. Like, it, sometimes it's nuts. People have requested a little custom token art drawings, yep. and they always get it too. So, Card Kingdom, again, great at customer service, and of course, tons of cards for you to get there as well, as well as some Ultra Pro product, the other sponsor of that sh- of our show. Um, I've been using Ultra Pro product again for probably close to 20 years. I still have top loaders back from when I was a kid and I got my first Badlands in the booster. So obviously the quality of the product has been good and has stayed good over the years. And they're, you know, now they're constantly improving. The Eclipse sleeves is something that we've talked about bunches of times on the show. They're satin tower uh, deck boxes I love. So again, Ultra Pro product, you can buy that at your LGS at Card Kingdom or at a big box retailer. Oh, and uh, before we move on to the end step here, one more shout out for our Kickstarter, which is going on right now. If you want to support Game Nights, help us make some upgrades around the office, be able to make the show better. I think a lot of people have noticed those really cool animations we're doing lately. Mm -hmm. That is something that we could do more of. Uh, We hired a part-time graphics person because we don't have the funds to do full-time, but... The more that we're able to raise, the more we're able to sort of push our quality level higher and higher. And you can get this really cool commemorative coin. In fact, there's two different coin designs at different uh, reward tiers. But you know us, our quality is our quality standards super high. These things are amazing yeah. uh, and very high quality. So uh, you'll find that link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. Yep, and tons of other rewards. Uh, so check it out. Make sure you guys get on that before the 30 days are up. All right, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Uh, I binge-watched the entire first season of this show recently, and I really like it. It's called Barry. It's on HBO. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I've i seen a couple of episodes. Won a bunch of Emmys and stuff, right? Yes. Uh, Henry Winkler, I think, yeah. won an Emmy for his performance, and he is honestly just lights out so He's like good. an acting uh, coach, He's right? an acting coach, <laughs> and I, I mean, like, look, as an actor, there are probably every episode, there's like five or six times where you go, oh, my gosh, I've had this conversation before. I've seen this happen before. <laughs> And as someone that's, and people that are watching that are non-actors, it's actually a really great representation of what sort of happens in LA in the sort of bubble of acting that, you know, like of all the things, the classes and all that stuff. But it's also a well-written show. Bill Hader is really funny in it. Um, It's about a hitman. A hitman that goes to LA that wants to become an actor. (laughs) He realizes that he's been pushed around his whole life and always been told what to do. And acting is like finally his first chance of like validation people like openly applauding for him because you can't do that for a hitman obviously so it's this really wonderful journey lots of really really fun characters um it's a bit dark and grim there is violence and blood and it's guts. hbo so it's probably yeah. would be rated r if it was a movie probably right but yeah uh, definitely yeah um but i like it a lot uh, i think if you want to get a good peek into the world of what acting is this is actually a very accurate representation of that especially in the class sense wow truth in media yeah right <laughs> very cool yeah I, I watched a couple of episodes and remember liking it and then i think i got busy and just never went back so yeah that's a, the episodes that's are like one. 30 minutes which is great too they're yeah. nice and fast first season's like eight episodes so you can get through it pretty quick awesome uh another show that's awesome is the Masters of Modern Podcast, our sister podcast. Our good friends, Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. Modern in a really good place now that they made a bunch of bands for that Hogak stuff. Yeah. So uh, if you want to find out all the latest, make sure you go to Twitter. They are at the MMCast, or you can just type Masters of Modern into YouTube or any of your iTunes, Stitcher, podcast apps, stuff like that. Our editors for the show are Ashlyn Rose and Craig Blanchett. And of course, big thanks as always to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations behind us on set. And that start and begin the show and start and end the show at youtube.com slash Scabanzone Podcast. You can find them at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. They do start and begin the show also. That, you weren't true. wrong. You were That's right. Wrong. The magician's choice. <laughs> it starts, begins, and ends the show. You're like, I guess they're all correct, but one of them sounded weird. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs> For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.